I know there are probably people out here that have wondered, what does the Bible really teach about baptism, and do I really need to do that? What's the mode, etc.? Let's talk a little bit about that here this morning. So we're looking at basics on baptism. You know, when we talk about foundations, how important that is. This building that we're in, 77,000 square feet, when we're out here on the very edge next to the foothills, and of course we have swellable soils, clay soil. When you're building out here next to the foothills, there's one of two options they told us when we were building. You can either put caissons or steel pylons all the way down the bedrock, or you can super excavate. You can dig a giant, giant hole and then backfill it with gravel and that kind of thing and other dirts. And we decided, and it partly was because of cost, that we would super excavate. So there was a giant hole, looked like a giant crater in the ground, and it was backfilled with the crusher finds, and then we built the building. And they said, if you don't, the building's going to crack. You'll have walls, you know, with drywall cracks and foundation cracking and all of that. And fortunately, we heeded the architect's advice and the builder's advice, and we really have had next to no cracking. I don't know if I would say no cracking, but very, very little cracking that's going on because of the foundation. But foundation determines the size the shape, and the strength of a building. And that's true in the Christian life. Foundation is very important. If you establish a solid foundation, you'll be able to go high and long in your Christian life. So Christian foundation is important. And understanding basic truths and following basic practices, whether that be football, hockey, or Christian living, our marriage, knowing some basic truths and following basic practices are essential, and they're essential to the Christian life. A relationship with Jesus Christ is predicated. It's built upon obedience to Christ. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He says in John fifteen fourteen, you are my friends... If you do whatever I command you, says the same thing, just a little bit different. We have a close relationship with God. God answers our prayer. He blesses us in obedience to his word. If we disregard his word or say, that's not applicable to me, then we can expect little blessing from God, even if we're a child of God. And one of the most Beautiful, certainly one of the first and most beautiful ways to demonstrate our obedience is what the Bible teaches called believer's baptism. You have to be a believer to really have true baptism, believer's baptism. So I'm going to talk about four things this morning. Number one, the significance of baptism, the significance of baptism. Baptism is not a means of salvation. Let me make it. Just absolutely clear, baptism is not a means of salvation. Some have mistakenly believed that baptism has the power to convey forgiveness of sins. I've visited with many people over the last 40-some years who said, well, yes, of course. I've said, are you a Christian? And they'll say, well, yes, I'm a Christian. I was baptized when I was a child. And I say, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you if you've been born again, and they tie their baptism with salvation, and that is not biblical. Matter of fact, we use the term in theology, 
credo-baptism, not pedo-baptism. Pedo means baby, like pedagogy, someone who teaches piano. Pedo means a little child. The Bible doesn't teach pedo-baptism, being baptized as a baby or maybe an infant or a little child. The Bible teaches credo-baptism. That means creed or beliefs. Because you have believed correctly, that entitles you to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. If you've been born again, then you can be baptized. Not because you grew up in a Christian home and were sprinkled or poured or dipped as a child. The Bible says it this way, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. In other words, there's nothing that you can do that gets you saved. For by grace, God's grace, are you saved through faith. That not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't get to heaven and, and pull on our suspender straps and, and say, hey, I got here because I was such a good person or was such a religious person or I got baptized or anything else. It's by faith and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. If baptism was necessary for salvation, and it's not, it's necessary in the Christian life, but it's not necessary for salvation. If baptism was necessary for salvation, Paul would have never said this in 1 Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Paul says that. God didn't send me, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, he says. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of none effect, of no effect. Paul believed, or if the New Testament taught, if Jesus taught that baptism was necessary for salvation, Paul would have been baptizing all kinds of people. But he says, that's not my job. I leave that to the pastors when I leave town. Paul was a missionary evangelist. There was a few occasions where he did baptize people. Baptism is not a means of salvation. Second, baptism is a picture of salvation. I want to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. And this is found in the context of Jesus' death, going to Hades, proclaiming his conquering of death. He karusamas, that's the Greek word, not uangalitsos. He doesn't preach the gospel to the people. He simply announces his death and soon coming resurrection. And in that passage, 1 Peter chapter 3, he refers to those people who died in the Noahic age before the flood and during the flood. Because they had left their first estate, angels cohabiting with women, producing this demagoguery, this race of Nephilim is the Hebrew term, of these crossbreeds, these individuals that were cursed. And so he says that he brought the flood and it destroyed all of mankind except Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. Now look at verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says, This is also an antitype which now saves us. In other words, this is an example or an, an antitype is the idea of something that precedes the real thing. This is a type, we would maybe even say today, this is a type of what saves us. Baptism, and it goes on to say, Peter explains, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. 
Baptism doesn't remove the, the filthiness of the flesh. It's really saying, I know in my conscience I'm right with God because I've been born again. And he, why does he use that with Noah? Because the ark didn't save Noah that he built. It was God who saved Noah. He's saying, this is a type. Water doesn't save someone. Noah wasn't saved by the boat. It was God who saved him. This is an antitype, he says, of a good conscience towards God through resurrection of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism over and over in the Bible is presented as a picture or a figure or a type of representing salvation, but not the source of salvation. I have a ring on my finger, on my wedding ring right here. There could be people in the congregation, I doubt if there are, but there could be people in the congregation who may be wearing a ring on their wedding ring finger and they're not married. You can wear a wedding ring and not be married. Matter of fact, you could not wear a wedding ring and still be married. But the wedding ring says, I belong to someone, I belong to Starry. I made my vows before God to her. I'm committed to her. That's what the wedding ring says. That's what baptism is. It's a symbol. It says, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm, I'm going to walk in obedience. I'm in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm married to him. You could almost say that. Just like a wedding ring in our culture says, I belong to someone. I'm married to someone. Baptism says, according to God, I belong to someone. He owns me. I love him. Baptism is not a means of salvation. Baptism is a picture of salvation. Third, baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament church. Now, you may not be real familiar with that word ordinance. Uh, there are only two ordinances in the New Testament church. I grew up a Roman Catholic, as many of you know. In the Roman Catholic church, we're taught that there are seven sacraments. And if you complete them all, you have a lot better chance of getting into heaven. Otherwise, you've got to go to purgatory for a hundred or a thousand years and, and burn off your sin. The Bible doesn't teach that was an invention of man. Nowhere in the Bible is there anything about purgatory or doing things to attain salvation. There are sacraments, but sacraments are something that came through churches. The Bible teaches there are two ordinances. One we observe this morning, baptism, and the other one we'll observe in a couple weeks, and that's the Lord's table. Those are the two ordinances given to the church. This starts the Christian life, or this says, I'm now a Christian, and communion allows us to continue in our Christian life by confessing our sins and identifying with the Lord's body, the church. Ordinances, how do you know what is an ordinance? Here's the definition. An ordinance are those practices in the New Testament that were introduced in the Gospels, practiced in the book of Acts, and then reinforced in the epistles. Let me say that again. What is an ordinance? An ordinance is something that's introduced in the Gospels by Christ. It's something that is practiced in the book of Acts. We see the early church doing it. And then it's reinforced or retaught in the epistles as Paul and Peter, John writes their epistles. So that's how we know what an ordinance is, and there are just two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now let me tell you, Jesus could have commanded us as believers to do something else to identify with him in the church. He could have said, if you're a Christian, I want you to shave the top of your head and put a big red dot on it. That way everybody will know 
that you're a Christian. They'll see that shaved head, man or woman, and some of you wouldn't even have to shave your head. You just have to paint the red dot. But he could say, shave your head, that symbolizes that you've been cleansed. And the red dot, that symbolizes that you're under the blood of Christ. Now, frankly, most of us would say, thank God he didn't ask us to do that. He could have. There have been many ways he could have pictured it. But no, he says, baptism is the way that you symbolize, you communicate. Matter of fact, it even says you preach that you belong to him. Because baptism says we've been washed, just like people take a bath and they're dunked under the water. We've been washed, we've been buried with Christ, and now, just like Christ came up out of the grave, we've been raised to walk in newness of life. It's a beautiful picture. And it's saying we have a renewed mind. I'm glad he's asked us to proclaim our faith, initially at least, through baptism. And some of you know, those of us who've had the opportunity to travel to other countries, I've been in Africa a few times, I've been in India several times, I've been in Asia, I've been in India with Matthew Thomas when Thomas was alive and started those churches, and we marched through town getting ready for a baptism. And the new converts were following us. We went out to the pond, the lake, and all those Hindus and Muslims mocked and jeered and shouted words at the believers who were getting baptized because those new believers were saying, I belong to Christ. I'm no longer a Hindu. I'm no longer a Muslim. I'm no longer anything but a Christian. And they suffered some persecution. Many of them lost their job. Some of them were alienated from their family. Now, here in America, it's kind of sanitized. We do it in the church, but still around the world. A lot of places are doing it in rivers, and they do it downtown. They do it where people see it, and they draw a crowd. I've done it in the Philippines and other places. And the onlookers, the non-believers watch because they get it. They, they get that these new converts are saying, I am now a Christian. I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. Watch me. And then the persecution comes. It's easy to become a Christian. We all get that. You can do it in the privacy of your own home. It's not easy to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And baptism is the first step of discipleship. Number two. We've talked about the significance of baptism, the symbol of baptism. It is a symbol of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 6. You're certainly welcome to turn there, but I think they'll put it on the screen. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. It says, Do you not know, don't you understand, Paul writes to the Romans and to us, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. Many of you know that baptism means to be identified with. That's why it's used in the Old Testament. It says of the Jews that were led out of Egypt that they were baptized into Moses, into Moses. The very same words that's used right here, we were baptized into Jesus. You get that? In other words, the Jews who were pagans down in Egypt, they didn't know the Lord, they didn't know Jehovah, they didn't know Adonai. 
They didn't know God, but Moses preached to them, and they followed. They went, they went across the river, the Red Sea, and they were baptized. That means they were dependent upon Moses. They were identified with Moses. He was their leader. They were, that's why the Bible says they were baptized with Moses. In other words, Moses is our leader. Moses is the person that God used to save us. That's why he uses it here. We were baptized into Jesus. We identify with him. He's our leader. We follow him. He's our savior. That's how it's used here in Romans 6, 3 through 5. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the power of the Father, even so we will walk in newness of life. In baptism, a Christian portrays what is necessary for salvation. As we are immersed, it represents Christ's death, burial, and the washing away of our sins. And as we emerge from the water, it represents Christ's resurrection and our coming resurrection. This week after the funeral for Stafford, we went up to Boulder and we buried him. Called it interment. We buried him and I talked to the folks. I read from Revelation chapter 20. Uh, 20 and 21 about the resurrection and because that body goes around the bible says the soul is be is with the lord absent from the body present with the lord but someday that body is going to be resurrected and reconstituted and it's going to be glorified and the soul and the body will come together and you'll have your eternal body throughout eternity it represents the death the covering of our sins, and the resurrection that we believe in that is coming someday. So in baptism, a Christian portrays what's necessary for salvation. Second, it is a symbol of cleansing from sin. Because salvation is a cleansing from sin, baptism is a beautiful picture of that cleansing. It's a symbol. You know, in Bible times, They didn't have cameras. They weren't always doing selfies. They couldn't do that. They couldn't take pictures. And only the very wealthy could afford to hire an artist to paint a picture. So they used a lot of symbolism to communicate truth. Hence the Passover. Hence the Lord's table. When we observe the Lord's table, we break the crackers. We're saying Christ's body was broken for us. When we imbibe the juice, we're saying Christ shed his blood for us. And we take that in. We've appropriated that. So they used a lot of symbolism. And so when we get baptized, it's a symbol that we belong to Christ. Our sins are forgiven. Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness. Because some religions teach, if you haven't been baptized, you're not saved. That's untrue. That's a work. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, his grace. But his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So he washed our sins away and he renews our mind. He renews our life by the Holy Spirit coming into us. And that process continues. In baptism, the immersion of the Christian below the surface of the water suggests washing. Just as people would wash in the lakes and wash in the streams and wash in the rivers. And now we wash in a bathtub, etc. This symbolism pictures what previously occurred by faith when we were cleansed from our sins. C. 
Third, it is a symbol of our new life in Christ. As salvation, the Christian is born again and becomes a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. When I got saved, God began to change less high, a little bit at a time, and there was a lot of change that needed to be made. I didn't know that was going to come about. I was a partier. You, you know my story. I, I was in a state college. I lived to dance. I lived to carouse. I lived to party. I, I did a lot of things that I'm very ashamed of, but I wasn't a believer. And the Holy Spirit began to convict me about the places I was going, the things that I was doing, the things that I was taking into my body. And I began to get convicted. Why? Because the Holy Spirit begins to create that new life in us. I started looking into the Word of God. I started having a hankering, a desire to know what the Word of God said. We become a new creature in Christ. And that's what Romans, we read verse 4 earlier, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. We're dead to the old life, in other words. And just like Christ was raised from the dead by the power and the glory of the Father, even so, now we begin to walk in newness of life. So when a person gets baptized, they're really saying, I'm saved. And I'm committed to Christ, and I'm going to live for him. Now watch me. In coming up out of the water, the Christian symbolizes his new life. He's been delivered from the graveyard of sin. Third, the standards of baptism. Why do we do it this way? What does the Bible say about that? The Bible method is immersion. I realize I'm, I could offend some people here. That's not my desire at all. Obviously, as a Roman Catholic, and my parents practiced Roman Catholicism, I was poured in a font as a baby. All of my brothers and sisters were. But after I got saved as a college student, I realized what the Bible taught, and I said, I need to be baptized, scripturally baptized, immersed, in other words. There are some who believe that baptism may occur with the sprinkling or pouring or pouring of water on the candidate. Such practices originated hundreds of years after the New Testament. Hundreds of years. Matter of fact, I have been in ancient Catholic churches in France where they even practiced immersion. Most Catholics obviously do not. But there were some that were strictly following the scripture in that area. And even they practiced immersion. And there were churches that dated way back into early Middle Ages. Such practices originated hundreds of years after the New Testament. And they're not the New Testament pattern at all. From the days of Christ, baptism has meant plunging or immersing in the water. If you understand this, it will clarify it. The word baptizo in the Greek New Testament, is one of the words, there's a few of them, that were not translated. They were not translated from the Greek into the English. They were transliterated. They were anglicized. They took the Greek word and kind of made it English. 
because when the King James was translated in 1611, originally there were Anglicans on a large number of them that were on the translation committee. And they weren't practicing baptism. They were practicing sprinkling and pouring. And so they objected to translating the word baptism. Because if they translated the word baptism, it means, you can look it up in any Greek lexicon, it means to dip beneath the water, to immerse beneath the water, to plunge beneath the water. I've had the privilege of being in Greece where they speak Greek. And you could go to a river and some woman might be washing her clothes and she's going up and down a washing board. You'd say, what are you doing? She would say, I'm baptizing or I'm baptizing my clothes. Or somebody jumps off a diving board into a swimming pool. They are baptizing themselves and their swimsuit because they're being immersed in the water. They're dipping, plunging, immersing beneath the water because that's what the word means. And look in any Greek dictionary or interlinear or Greek lexicon, that's exactly what the word means. But because of that debate, it wasn't translated in the English Bible. It was transliterated or anglicized because of the debate there. So it means to dip, plunge, or immerse. And all New Testament accounts. So we say this is our authority. Not some church leader, not some pastor, not some preacher. We say this is our authority. And every single example in the Bible of baptism is by immersion. Every single example. So this is our authority. Not what some people said, well, that's, you know, that's kind of difficult. This is the authority. John 3.23 says, and John was baptized. And he's John the baptizer, <laughs> John the immerser, if you want to be literal about it. John the Baptist, as we call him, John was baptizing in Enon near Salem. Why? The Bible says because there was much water there. And many came and were baptized. Now, if he was sprinkling or he was pouring, he could have done it in Jerusalem. But he was baptizing in the Jordan River because there was much water there. He needed much water to immerse people. John the Baptist, that's the record in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Peter's famous sermon on Pentecost. 3,000 converts. What a day. 3,000 converts, and they said to Peter. Now, they had background in the Scripture. A lot of them were Jews from various parts of the world. And they said, and they understood the Scripture, and Peter explained that Jesus was the fulfillment as the Messiah, and that he had died on the cross, and he was the Savior. He was God-man. And they accepted him as their Savior, and they say to him in Acts 2.41, Then they that gladly received the word of God about salvation were baptized. And that same day, they were added unto them 3,000 souls. So Peter and the apostles were tired at the end of that day from baptizing 3,000 people. But they baptized them. So you get that? They were saved, and then they were baptized. They weren't sprinkled as a child. They weren't poured over as a child or an infant. They were adults that got saved, and then they got baptized. In Acts chapter 8, verse 36 through 38, remember Philip, the evangelist. 
God was using him to bring people to Christ. Philip the evangelist was going down the road and he was planning on going somewhere and God brought the Ethiopian eunuch who came up to Jerusalem out of Ethiopia, Africa. And he came looking for the truth, but he didn't find it with the Jews. And he went back and God says to him, join his chariot. So he comes to the chariot. He says, can I take a ride, you know? And he says, what are you reading? He said, well, I'm reading from the book of Isaiah. What a wonderful, sovereign thing that was. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I, unless someone explains it to him. So he takes the classic Old Testament passage, Isaiah chapter 53, and explains to him Jesus Christ is the fulfillment as the Messiah. And the eunuch says, I believe. And so he put his trust in Jesus Christ. He became trusting in the Savior and then The Ethiopian eunuch, as they're driving on their way, he said, hey, look, there is much water here. There was a stream, a river. He says, what hinders me? What's going to stop me from being baptized right now? And Peter says, if you believe with all your heart, I'll baptize you. And he baptized him. Got saved, got baptized in water, deep water, the Bible tells us. In Acts chapter 10, Verses 47, 48, the apostle Peter was at the church of Jerusalem. He was the leader of the church of Jerusalem. And he did the baptizing, the Bible tells us in those verses. In Acts chapter 16, where we're going to run out of time, Paul, the apostle, did baptize some people. In Acts chapter 16, it's the beginning of the church at Philippi. Remember, Lydia gets converted. The demon-possessed girl gets converted. And the Philippian jailer and his family gets converted. And either Paul or Barnabas baptized them, the Bible says. Same way in Acts chapter 18. C, the Bible candidate is a believer. The Bible method is immersion. The Bible authority is the New Testament church. The Bible candidate is a believer. In every case in the book of Acts, people were baptized upon their profession of faith after they accepted the Lord. Acts 2.41 says, And those who had gladly received the word that Peter preached about Christ being the Messiah were baptized. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is questioning the Ethiopian eunuch about his salvation. That's why we meet with people. Tell us about your salvation. They say, well, I've always been a Christian. Then we get, you don't get it. We aren't born Christians. We become Christians. We can be born in a Christian household, but we become Christians as we accept Jesus Christ as a Savior, whether you're a 10-year-old or someone older. I baptize people in their 80s who got saved very late in life. You're born again, and then baptism follows that. Now, I will admit, I I know, it was a struggle for me to realize as a college student, I need to get baptized. How come I didn't know this? Well, I hadn't been saved very long in my case. And it was a little bit awkward for me. You know, I see these other people getting baptized, and they were all pretty young. I didn't know anything about the Bible. So it was a little awkward. But guess what? Obedience to Christ is far better than awkwardness or embarrassment. And there's nothing to be embarrassed about. Nothing. We're just being obedient to Jesus Christ. Submission to baptism, my last and final point. The submission to baptism. We're baptized to be obedient to Christ. Before his ascension, before he went up to heaven, Jesus Christ instructed that After one becomes a believer or a disciple, 
he or she should be baptized. Matthew 28, we all know that verse probably. Verses 19 and 20, it says, and he's giving instructions to his followers. He says, go ye therefore into all the world and teach the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, affirming that our God is a triune God, three persons, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things. In other words, teach them all the Word of God, but not just teach them, make sure they follow it. And we call it three present participles. If you remember from English class, there are three present participles in, in that great commission. He says, go into all the world, evangelizing the lost, evangelizing the nation, evangelizing, baptizing the new converts into the church, bring them into the church, and then teaching or catechizing them. So the great commission is baptizing converts or evangelizing the lost, baptizing the converts, discipling the new believers. That's the three parts of equal weight, by the way, of the Great Commission. We're to be sharing the gospel, telling people how to be saved. After they get saved, many of us, we say, okay, the next step is for you to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That's proclaiming your faith. That's the first step of obedience, okay? Great Commission. Second, baptized in the likeness of Christ. Christ began his public ministry by submitting to baptism. Why is that? Was it because Jesus was such a sinner? Of course not. He was sinless. He was the son of God. He was perfectly holy. Why did he get baptized? The Bible tells us it was an example for his followers so Jesus in his adult years, we would assume probably about 33, gets baptized because he tells his followers, this is how people will know that you're serious about your Christian life and you want to become a Christ follower. It says in Mark 1.9, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in the Jordan. Now John recognized that he was the Messiah. He had said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John objected to it. But Jesus says, it is necessary. It is necessary as an example. It is necessary for my followers. So he submits to baptism, and he's the Son of God. When a Christian submits to baptism, he does so in likeness to Christ who submitted to baptism. Let me tell you a quick story. The late Dwight Eisenhower, probably better known as Ike. The late Dwight Eisenhower was the only American president to be baptized and received into church membership upon his confession of faith while he was in office. Now, you talk about being in a place where everybody knows what's going on in your life. He was in that place. The service was simple, but a very strong witness. The leaders of 100 nations were present at his baptism. Leaders of 100 nations were present at his baptism, and it was on national television to the American people. Now, it could have been done with much pomp and ceremony, but it wasn't. He was the commander of the Allied forces in Europe. He was one of the country's most decorated military men. He was the leader of the free world. 
But his baptism, by the way, like his funeral, was very simple, very straightforward. He was buried, by the way, in his common soldier's casket. It was simple, and so was his baptism. Our 34th president was a humble man, which is a necessary, and get this, that is a necessary quality for salvation as well as baptism. Proud people don't get saved. Proud people don't get baptized. Humility is a necessary quality for both. We were baptized to be obedient to Christ. We're baptized in the likeness of Christ, third and finally. We're baptized as a testimony for Christ. Baptism is done to picture what Christ did for us. It testifies to the world that as a believer, we've accepted the Lord. We want to follow him and we want to proclaim him. And Christ commands and commends that kind of a testimony. Listen to this verse, Matthew 10, 32. Whoever... That's everybody. Whoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. He doesn't say in this passage that if you don't confess me before men, I'll never confess you before the Father. But it's somewhat implied. If we're unwilling to confess him before men, what do men mean? Nothing compared to God. But if we're unwilling to profess Christ before men, you can understand what he's saying, that I'm unwilling to confess you before my Father. That's a, that's a strong statement. I'm not trying to strong arm anyone. Listen, if I could get people saved by twisting their arm, I should be spending more time at the gym getting bigger guns than I am in the office. But that's not how you get people saved. It's not even by argumentation. I can't argue someone into getting baptized, but they have to understand the Bible teaches it and because I want to be obedient, I'm going to figure out when I'm going to do it. I'll submit to it humbly. Baptism symbolizes the work of Christ and the experience of salvation. It makes the believer obedient to Christ and really, from that point, hopefully forward, a witness for Christ. If you've been born again but have not been baptized, let me encourage you. And I mean it. I want to encourage you. You don't have to be embarrassed. I'm not trying to shame you. I'm trying to encourage you. If you've been saved but you haven't been baptized, I would encourage you to present yourself for baptism in obedience to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you haven't left any hanging chads, any dangling participles, any of the big questions out there. You've made things that are important very clear in your word. And we can know that what you want for us is spelled out in the scriptures. And sometimes we swallow hard, Lord. Sometimes our pride gets in the way and sometimes we, we struggle. But I pray that we would be a body of believers I say, if the Bible commands it, then I'm going to do it. If the Bible teaches it, I'm going to follow it. That would be our prayer today. Lord, we, we ask that you'll help us. We ask that your grace will, 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 will cover us and strengthen us and enable us. 
Thank you for these who followed you today in believer's baptism. Bless their lives. Bless their witness for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.